could uh, open up your scriptures to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 7. We're going to uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning, and it's been a while. And uh, so we're going to do a, a short sermon on, on communion this morning. So Luke chapter 22, verse 7. If you would, read along with me. Again, starting in verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters, and tell the master of the house, the teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished, prepared, prepare it there. And when they went and found it just as he told them, and they prepared the Passover. And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, um, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and gave it, er, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Let's pray. Dear me, Father God, Lord, God, I thank you uh, for the reminder, Lord, of what you did on the cross for us. God, as we celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning, Lord, I pray that our hearts are full of joy for how much uncertainty we find ourselves in, Lord, in this time, Lord. We know for certain, Lord, the promises that you have given us will be fulfilled. Help us rest in that certainty, Lord. God, help us to look forward to, to the eternity that we will be spending with you, the joy, the everlasting joy that we will have in your presence, Lord, to the feast that one day we will be a part of. Lord, I thank you this morning as we celebrate, God, what you have done for us and the promises that you have given us, Lord. I pray that our minds are reminded that this is not our home, Lord, that we are just passing through. In your son's name, amen. You've heard me say, and I've said this a, a number of times, that this is one of the hardest seasons of our church's history. I say that again of our church, of course, in the history of the church and churches across the world. This doesn't compare to a lot of the times that a church has gone through. But in our church history, local church, Country Oaks Baptist Church, this is probably the hardest season we've ever gone through. We keep hearing words like unprecedented or unparalleled. And if you think about it, it's, our church is a little over 30 years old, and for 30 years we have canceled Sunday once. 
one time because of the snow um, out of 30 years until last March and April where we took just about two months off as a church or over two months off as a church we didn't even have an Easter service our fellowship really as a church our community um, has been assaulted it's been attacked our government as we've said, has opened up malls and museums before they allowed the church to open. They've kept open liquor stores, state lotteries, abortion clinics. They have encouraged protests and riots and chaos in the streets while the whole time calling the church unessential. And through it all, we the church, which I think is appropriate, we the church have done our best, and I think Country Oaks, and not just Country Oaks, really you look across the nation, we the church have done our best to submit to this government. Yet in doing so, we haven't celebrated the Lord's Supper since February as a church. Again, 30 years, every month. Well, that changes today as we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper together as a church. I was very joy-filled first service in doing so. Look at what it says in Luke 22, verse 19. It says, And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. That's not an option. That's a command. We are commanded to take the Lord's Supper in remembrance of what Christ has done for us. And for how discouraging the time is right now, and I just feel it as I talk to people in the church and even around the community, I feel it personally. I, I don't know if I've ever gone through a time where I've been just so tired and discouraged. Many are stuck at home, and if you're watching right now online and you haven't left home for months, many just want things to be normal, especially Sunday morning. Many have lost jobs or are struggling financially, and this is a discouraging time, a hard time, and in a lot of ways it feels like we don't know when it's going to end. But be encouraged. Our hope is not found in these things, and the Lord's Supper points to hope. It points to hope. So I hope this morning we are encouraged as we take the Lord's Supper together as a church, as we're reminded what we have been forgiven, as we're reminded what we look forward to as a body. So if you would, look, at, look with me at Luke 22, verse 14. It says this in verse 14, And when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. There's tough times that are coming for the disciples, right? Challenges and trials that will be facing the disciples, and this is Jesus' last meal with them before his death. This is the last official Passover celebrated ever, and the first ever Lord's Supper, where Jesus changes the Passover celebration to the Lord's Supper. And he says, I have earnestly desired, in the Greek it's really intensive or forceful. It literally is, with desire I have desired to have this meal. Jesus strongly desired to celebrate the Lord's Supper with his disciples before his death. Which leads to a question, why? Why did Jesus desi desire this time so much? In fact, if you look at the Gospels, there's more time spent in this, in this one evening than almost anywhere else. In scripture. Why was this so important to Jesus? Well, to, to understand this, you really have to understand a little bit of the Passover. What is the Passover? The 
Passover was a celebration. It was a festival. It was a, it was a meal that the Jews would have with each other, remembering uh, what happened in the book of Exodus thousands of years before the time of Jesus, where God's people were in slavery. We want to talk about a hopeless, discouraging time, abuse, even a point where Egypt killed all the firstborn babies of the Israelites by throwing them in the Nile River. They lived under an oppressive and evil government, the Egyptians. And God called Moses to go to Pharaoh, the Egyptian king, to tell him, let my people go so, so that they can go out to the desert and worship me. And Pharaoh said, no, who is this God? So God put on display his great power with ten devastating plagues, each as a judgment, each each against a false god, each against false worship, showing Egypt, Israel, and really the whole world that there is one God. He is just and powerful, and he deserves to be worshipped. Ten plagues. And the tenth, of course, was the most devastating. The death of the firstborn in Egypt. These plagues were all judgment on Egypt, on the nation, because of Pharaoh's sins and because of the Egyptians' sins against the Israelites. But here's an important question. It's a question we should ask when we go through the story of the Exodus. What about Israel's sins? I mean, Israel was far from perfect. In fact, they are called over and over and over again by God a stiff-necked people. Right? Over and over again, we see them rebelling against God. So why didn't Israel receive judgment? The answer is the Passover lamb. A lamb without blemish, a perfect lamb, was killed, and its blood was painted on the door of the Israelites' homes. In fact, Exodus 12, 13 says this, The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. This is God bringing his judgment. His judgment will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. In other words, when I see the blood of the Lamb, my judgment will not fall on you. It will pass over you. And that's where we get this name, Passover. And that's exactly what happened in the history of Israel. If you look at the story of Exodus, Egypt received God's justice and judgment and wrath. And Israel received God's mercy and grace. The Passover lamb took the wages of sin for the Israelites. And the wages of sin is death, according to Romans 6, 23. In fact, the Passover lamb showed the Israelites, and it shows us as we go through Scripture, two things. First, sin is a big deal. We, as fallen humanity, take sin lightly. The Bible says otherwise. All sin is a big deal. So much so, a lamb had to be killed. And just think about that. In front of the family, a lamb was slaughtered, the blood was drained, and that blood was painted on the doorpost. Vivid imagery of how serious sin is. Second, this taught the Israelites two things. It shows us two things. First, sin is a big deal. But second, and here's the good news, there can be a substitute. There can be a substitute. The lamb was a substitute. The death is what the Israelites deserved, and the lamb was a substitute taking the punishment. But at least to a question, and I hope you've asked this question as you've read through the Old Testament, 
Can a lamb or an animal truly take away the sins of Israel? According to Scripture, the Bible is very clear on this, human life is much more valuable than animal life. Man is made in the image of God. So how can a lamb, how can an animal pay the penalty man owes, especially since he owes his life, he owes death, eternity, and hell? The answer is he can't, right? A lamb can't. In fact, Hebrews 10.4 says this, For it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The Passover lamb, in other words, did not take away the sins of Israel. Hebrews 10 is clear on this. It was a shadow or a type of reality that would come. It pointed the Israelites to reality that would come. Animal sacrifices throughout the whole Old Testament did one thing. It pointed Israel to the coming Messiah, to the true Lamb of God. They all pointed to Jesus. Jesus is the true Passover Lamb. Unblemished, perfect, who died for our sins. He wanted the disciples to see this. In fact, 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says this, For Christ, our Passover Lamb, has been sacrificed. So look at Luke 22, verse 16. This is what it says. Jesus says this, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer, for I tell you I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus took the bread of the Passover meal and he broke it. It represented his body. His body would take the punishment. It would be broken. He broke it and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of, of me. We, New Testament saints, don't sacrifice lambs anymore. Because we have seen and heard about the true Lamb of God. Instead, we fellowship over bread. Remembering that Jesus' body was broken for us. The Passover pointed forward. The Passover lamb, the Passover meal pointed forward to Jesus. The Lord's Supper points backwards, reminds us what Jesus did. He took the wrath, the guilt, the shame we deserved as sinners on the cross for us so that God's wrath would pass over us and we would receive God's mercy and grace. Theologians call this substitutionary atonement where Jesus took the punishment we deserve as our substitute so that he could atone for our sins and we could be forgiven. You see this throughout scripture. Isaiah 53, 5 But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. 1 Peter 2, 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. That's the cross. That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Or 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says this, For... Our sake, he, that's God, made him, that's Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin. He was the perfect lamb, unblemished, sinless, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The perfect lamb was sacrificed as our substitute, taking the punishment we deserved as Christians. And for those who believe, those who put their faith in Christ, we celebrate that this morning. And we take communion as a reminder that we are forgiven. Verse 19, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Communion is a reminder. And it's a testimony. If you're not a Christian this morning or if you don't know where you stand with the Lord, it's a testimony of what Christ has done for those that put their faith in him. And I hope you see that this morning. But for us that have trusted Christ and are doing our best to follow him as Lord, it's a reminder that we are forgiven and that he paid the price. But here's the deal, and this is something I think we forget about the Lord's Supper. It's a somber time, and, and it's because we reflect on the times we have failed in following Christ and where we have sinned, and we ask for forgiveness as we come to the Lord's Supper. But communion also anticipates. It was meant to anticipate. It was meant to be a joy-filled time. Look what it says in verse 20. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Here's what's interesting about this. Right? In the Passover celebration that was celebrated for thousands of years in, in Israel, it was commanded by God to be celebrated, there was four cups. Four cups at the Passover celebration. And most theologians believe Jesus only drank three of the four cups. The third cup was the cup that Jesus introduced the new covenant with, saying this cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Meaning, he didn't drink the fourth cup. All the cups had significant meaning behind them. Everything in the meal had significant meaning behind it. The fourth cup was the cup that pointed to a future blessing. After you drank this cup, in fact, you would recite in tradition... I will take you as my people, and I will be your God. So here's what I think, and this is just a guess. I believe Jesus is waiting to drink that fourth cup until the age to come. In fact, look what it says in verse 18. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. I believe one day Jesus will finish the celebration he started with the church, his disciples, that night. With us. In eternity. And he will say, I have taken you as my people, and I am your God. Therefore, the Lord's Supper not only points back to Christ's death, which it does, but it also points forward to a fellowship we will enjoy with Jesus in eternity we fellowship together. It's just a taste of what we will experience in eternity. Look at verse 15 again. I just want you to see it. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. This is the last Passover meal. This is this feast. We will feast again one time in eternity. In the age to come. In fact,
fact, look at Luke 22, verse 28. Skip to verse 28 real quick. He's talking to his disciples who are pretty oblivious of what's going on and the hope they've just been promised. And he says this, You are those who have stayed with me in my trials. This earth, this life, we are promised trials. You know, we've lived in America, we've lived in a season, we've been blessed lives, and I'm the one that grew up in a life that has faced very few trials. And we, as a church, are starting to face them. Look what he says. And I assign to you as my Father assigned to me a kingdom. Verse 30. That you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. R.C. Sproul says, Implied in this statement from Jesus is his anticipated promise to the marriage feast of the Lamb. The great celebration of Christ and his bride which will take place in heaven. Communion at the Lord's table as we celebrate is a reminder, but also it points to a great celebration. The marriage feast of the Lamb, it is hope of a great promise in the future. In fact, turn with me to Revelation chapter 19. Revelation chapter 19. There's no S at the end of Revelation. I always say Revelation. Revelation, chapter 19, verse 1. You know, as I read through this, and I'm reminded that there's so many different opinions right now, and the church in so many ways is being challenged by its unity, and there's so many divisive things out there right now, We need to be reminded that our hope is what unites us. That we've been forgiven in Christ, what he's done for us in the hope of a glorious future is what unites us as a church. Look at verse 1. It says this, And this I heard what seemed to be a loud voice of great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belongs to our God, for his judgments are true and just. For he has judged the great prostitute who corrupt the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of his servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah! The smoke from her goes up forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshipped God who was seated on the throne saying, Amen! Hallelujah! From the throne came a voice saying, Praise our God all you, his servants, you who fear him, small and great. Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of a mighty pearls of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those 
who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Tom Schreiner writes in his commentary on this, to those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb are blessed by God. No feast compares to this feast, and the joy at this supper is incomparable to any joy we've ever experienced in this life. That's what we look forward to. Isaiah 25, 6 talks about this. It says this, On on this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow and aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples and the veil that is spread over all nations. And he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people will be t- will take away from all the earth and the Lord has spoken. Turn to Revelation chapter 21 verse 1. Revelation chapter 21 verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw a holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Does that sound familiar? Fourth cup, cup of future blessing. The Israelites would recite, I will take you as my people and I will be your God. We'll look at verse 3 again. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man and he dwells with them and they will be his people and God will be with them as their God. Verse 4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Listen, there's a lot of discouragement right now. There's been a lot of tears these last few months. But communion points to a time where there will be no more tears. We celebrate a hope, a glorious joy, a glorious fellowship with each other and with God for eternity. Turn to Revelations 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river, the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the streets of the city, also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, Yielding it fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any accursed. But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it. And his servants will worship him. They will see his face. And his name will be on their foreheads. And night will be no more. There will be no, no light of lamps or of sun. For the Lord God will be their light. They will reign forever and ever. 
communion is not just a sign of what has happened. It's not just a remembrance of what Christ has done for us, although it is that. It's also a sign and a promise of what will happen. That we will feast together one day in the marriage feast of the Lamb. So don't be discouraged. This is not our home. And you know what? I can say this for the first time in my short life. I truly starting to feel like a sojourner here. But this isn't my home. We've been blessed to live in Tehachapi in America where there hasn't been much opposition to worship. There hasn't been much, much opposition to Christianity. And we're starting to see it. We're sojourners here. We're not, this is not where we're supposed to find our joy and blessing total. Although there is much joy and blessing in this life, our hope is to a much greater life, a much greater kingdom. And our fellowship this morning as we take communion together is just a taste of it. It's just a taste of it. I want to say this. For how hard this time has been, and I be the first to admit, I've been discouraged, I've been tired, I've been down. Although as I studied this, I got really encouraged. <laughs> I'm reminded 2 Corinthians 4.17, it says this. And this is Paul. For this light and momentarily afflictions is preparing us, for us, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. As we look not at the things that are seen in this life, but the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient. In other words, the things that we see, the, the life that we're in right now is temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. That's our hope. I'm excited to celebrate the Lord's Supper with you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, Lord, as the church is being challenged right now, Lord, I thank you. James 1 reminds us that we should be thanking you for our trials, and, and truly I am, because for one of the first times in my life, Lord, I, I have this hope of the future, Lord, a hope of rest. Where worship of you is just it's, it's easy and joy-filled, Lord, where, where there's not challenges, Lord, to it. And as we navigate, Lord, through the circumstances that we are in right now, God, I pray that you are glorified and that we are reminded of how joy-filled that's going to be one day. That being reminded that, that this is not our home, that we're just sojourners, Lord, and that we have a much greater kingdom that's promised to us, even though it's beyond our comprehension, Lord, I pray that hope encourages us to live out our convictions, Lord, to share to people that are lost the good news of your Son who died and took, took the punishment we deserve, like the Passover lamb, Lord, so that we could have fellowship with you, so that one day that promise of that fellowship that's, that's uninterrupted by any curse, Lord, be a reality and we would be joy-filled as we honor you and glorify you for eternity. Help that hope, Lord. I pray that hope just unites us as a church, Lord. Be with us, God. Be with us right now as we celebrate, not 
only what you have done for us, but the great hope that we've been